A good Tuesday morning to you. Welcome to Real Talk. Samuel G. Brooks, technical producer of this show. Am I putting you on the spot? I suspect you'll know the answer right off the top of your head or be able to reference it quickly. This is episode number... Oh, I don't know. 70-something. 72? Yeah. Maybe we're in our our early 70s, so to speak, uh, episode-wise. Slowly approaching. We'll have to do like a 100th episode, some sort of a bash. You know? Maybe a little something creamy in the coffee or something like that. We'll we'll see how that goes. (laughs) Like we've never done that before. We actually really haven't. If you think about it. Christmas and New Year's, I guess. That's about it. Yeah. yeah, What are we? We're one minute in and we're already talking about boozy coffees on a Tuesday morning in the middle of March. I see no problem with this. So, uh, but uh, yeah, not as as much going on here. Not as as much of a party atmosphere as people might think. I sort of thought when we set the tone out of the gates with the Real Talk beer fridge and everything else, the fact that we're untethered, that the shackles are off, that we can do whatever we want, that we'd be cracking cold ones at 8.30 Mountain Time, 10.30 Eastern every weekday morning, but simply not the case. We've got to keep our focus. Uh, a great show coming up today in about a half hour from now. We're going to check in with uh, three physicians. It's it's a, a Women's Health Roundtable yesterday, International Women's Day. Some are calling it International Women's Week. Uh, we're going to take a look at the launch of the Alberta Women's Health Foundation. They want you to refocus the research. Uh, we're going to learn where deficiencies are. Well, first of all, why does it matter when it comes to medical research? Uh, why have women been underrepresented in the research process? Why does that matter to women? The answer might be obvious, but we don't take it for granted. And then what do they mean by refocus the research? I'll give you a hint. They're saying that there's a lot of research being done in women's health matters around things like, you know, cosmetic surgeries and things like that, but maybe not enough on things like cancers. Now, I don't know. I haven't spoken to Dr. Sandra Davidge and Dr. Colleen Norris and Dr. Jane Schultz yet. That's coming up in a half hour. Uh, But we'll be getting into that women's health roundtable in just a moment. We'll talk to uh, former Alberta Minister of Environment and Parks. She's now the official opposition's finance critic. She's the MLA member of the Legislative Assembly out of Lethbridge West. Shannon Phillips yesterday, a bombshell reporting by Carolyn Dunn of the CBC, who's done a great job of freedom of information request that was actually launched by MLA Phillips uh, into herself. She wanted to see if suspicions that she had were, in fact, true. She felt like she was being surveilled, monitored by the Lethbridge Police Service, and she received back about 9,000 pages worth of redacted documents that show that that appear to confirm that her suspicions were correct. So Shannon Phillips coming up in just a moment. Want to remind you that each and every morning, these shows are brought to you by our presenting sponsor at Bitcoin Well. Whether or not you caught CEO Adam O'Brien's uh, workshop over the weekend, he was taking questions, doing a live Q&A. You can still go back and watch it. Just check out the Adam O'Brien YouTube channel. He, he steers this team that continues to grow. They're getting set to move to... What, 35,000 new square feet? I mean, just rapid expansion as, as cryptocurrency continues to boom. If you want to learn a bit more about it, like you're at starting point number one, blockchain doesn't mean any, you know, it doesn't mean anything to you and crypto doesn't make any sense and you can't figure out what on earth anybody's talking about. Go see the team at Bitcoin Well. They'll simplify it for you. I say it because they did it for me. You can find them under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Jesperson. 
Shannon Phillips is the MLA out of Lethbridge West. She suspected that uh, that something was going on with Lethbridge police. Uh, she suspected, as a matter of fact, that she was being monitored. And so she put in a request just this past summer in August under the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act, known as FOIP, on herself, a request on herself and the Lethbridge police. A couple of months later, she received more than 9,300 pages on a compact disc, it, all redacted. You know what that means, like blacked out big time. You could barely read anything. But what you could read is startling. In my opinion, it's damning. And it should be troubling to every single Canadian citizen. Uh, Shannon Phillips, the MLA out of Lethbridge West, joining us this morning. Thank you for making time for us and welcome back to Real Talk. Well, thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So this is, you know, you, you had suspicions, we say, over the last four years or so that you were being monitored by police. What does that mean? What did that look like? When did this first start for you? You know, I, I don't know if I had I just kind of had a gut feeling that there might be more. I, I you know, I knew that I like obviously I, I had to uh, file that 2017 complaint. Um, and then I got back the results of that complaint and, uh, you know, it, the, the, the investigation was, was tremendously unsatisfying, uh, uh, but I kind of put it to the side, you know, uh, I was going into an election campaign. I, I, uh, I just honestly didn't want to deal with it. So I never talked to the media about it. I never, uh, you know, I didn't even really talk to my colleagues about it. But I always felt like maybe there was more because the investigation was so surface and the conclusions like mildly ridiculous in their vagueness that I thought, you know what, I, I have to wonder. Shannon, when you talk about so, the twenty, you talk about the 2017 complaint or you're, you're talking about the, the photos in the diner. Is that what you're talking about? Because I bet you some of our listeners aren't familiar with it. I mean, that on its own is wild. Can you bring us up to speed on that? Uh, yeah, so um, I, I go for breakfast on Good Friday of 2017 uh, with some folks that were in town. I was supposed to have met with them the night before uh, or just like talk to them the night before uh, at a UofL scholarship dinner uh, because one of the people was was an honoree at that scholarship dinner. Um, and so I, my flight got in late and I was like, you know what, let's go for breakfast instead. Uh, the next day I don't have kids, so it's Good Friday, let's do that. So we do. Uh, there's uniformed police officers behind me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I acknowledge them. They acknowledge me. Uh, and uh, uh, later on, uh, it, it turns out that there's photos all over Facebook of me with this, like, really, uh, like, quite insane conspiratorial um, libelous screed about what I was talking about. It was all false. Um, and uh, so I filed a police act complaint. Uh, those photos were taken by in-uniform police officers, right? So I filed a complaint thinking that, you know, LPS is just going to handle this. It, you know, I sort of had, had maybe misplaced faith in the system, but I just thought, you know what, let's quietly make sure that we don't, we're not uh, letting bad cops get away with discreditable conduct. But uh, you know, let's move on with our lives. And so that's what I did. I get the complaint back in 2018. The report is not very good. Uh, and, but I, I sort of set it aside. Fast forward to July of 2020. And that's when I hear about this next, that in 2018, there was another uh, uh, investigation that started that concerned me that I had no knowledge of. Um, they didn't tell me, you know, all of these guys have my cell phone number. They know where to find me. Um, 
And uh, so, and there was a plan to follow me uh, and, uh, uh, you know, engage in other discreditable conduct. And so those two officers were subsequently disciplined again because they were given a very light touch uh, off the the first uh, complaint. And, and so after that, I just went, you know what? Well, first of all, I'm going to appeal this because there's no way that it is lawful that you can have a whole investigation about someone that they're not even told about for two years. Um, but, uh, you know, what else is there? How much more is there? And it turns out there was more. And, uh, you know, so like at, at a certain level, the LPS just really needs to get their act together and restore public trust because that's what this is about we should probably point out that the medicine hat police service investigated that so-called spying incident in 2017 and that investigation also turned up the fact that one of those lethbridge police officers that was in that diner at that time you were having brunch also followed if my understanding and my interpretation of this medicine hat police report is is accurate followed two of the guests that you were meeting with that morning Right. Environmentalist yep. Harvey Locke and Marie Eve Marchand in their vehicle for five blocks after they left the diner before he lost them at a red light. He also ran a search on their license plate. So not just you, the target of this, uh, but also people that you were associating with. Yeah. And in the investigation records, it's really clear. He said, I did this uh, uh, because I don't like her. <laughs> I don't like the NDP. I don't like the government. I don't like the decisions she made. Like, those are the reasons he gave. So, you know, I'm not filling in the blanks there. Like, yeah. this is by his own admission. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, the, the reason given was, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't like anything that she does. So I'm going to uh, follow the people that she's with. You know, some people in the community since then have said to me, well, should I not have coffee with my MLA in public? Uh, uh, should I be afraid to talk to my elected official because the cops might take photos of me and follow me and conduct on an unlawful search. Uh, well, not, my, not even not even just not, not even just that, not even just that. But if this is the way that the police are operating in that they're surveilling you on duty, taking photos of you, posting them to social media, following and potentially harassing and intimidating the people that you're meeting with. It's because they don't like you because you're representing the, the NDP. What if they don't like me because of my podcast? What if they don't like somebody because they're Jewish? What if they don't like somebody because they're black? What if they don't like somebody because they didn't donate to the police service? What if they don't like somebody because they're Oilers fans? What if they don't like somebody because they're vegetarians? Do you get the idea? I mean, if this I is how, if this is the criteria for how police can conduct themselves, this has nothing to do. I mean, it does have to do with politics, but this is a way bigger problem that should be troubling everybody today. Well, that's exactly it, right? Like we have guardrails uh, uh, in a liberal democracy. Uh, and one of the foundational ones is that the people who are elected make the decisions, not the people with guns. The people with guns take orders from the people who are elected and from the uh, and, and they implement the laws that are passed in a legislature or a parliament. That's the that's the way the world works. And when you are, are moving through uh, your duties as a police officer, it is the basics of your professional standards that you leave aside uh, uh, any of your other prejudices. Um, uh, you know, it, they could not like you because, they, you know, you're their neighbor and you didn't paint your fence. Uh, uh, that does not justify uh, uh, a breach of professional standards in this way. And that's why the 2017 complaint was bad 
the the investigation and the findings was terrible. Um, the uh, 2018 process was well, according to the Law Enforcement Review Board, anyway, uh, uh, flawed, tainted, grossly inadequate. That's what our civilian oversight board said about it. So again, those aren't my words. So we'll be appealing that, uh, you know, my my uh, my lawyer and I, but. Uh, uh, that's why this is 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 such a problem. You've got these cops investigating cops, uh, and they're allowed to get away with conclusions like that that are, to be clear, grossly inadequate, tainted, flawed. Yeah, I want to be be clear myself, and that we've extended an opportunity for the Lethbridge Police Chief to join me here on the show. Uh, it, it, with a lack of response, there we requested a statement. We received neither, but the door is open. Let's be clear: this is not the full and complete story. This is just the beginning. I mean, you received more than 9,300 pages worth of redacted documents that show that over the course of 11 months in 2018, your name was searched uh, no fewer than eight times by five different police officers, as well as one civilian employee. Were you shocked? I was somewhat shocked. Uh, I think, it, you know, I, I wasn't uh, I, I wasn't overly shocked uh, because, uh, I, you know, there had just been so much discreditable conduct and, and just I don't know if it's a mixture of like incompetence and malevolence. Uh, uh, but uh, and I don't know, where, you know, where one ends and the other begins. But I, I knew, uh, it, you know, like from my previous experience that uh, there was probably more going on. Um, and sure enough, there was, you know, uh, uh, wherever there's a reason for one of the police officers to search, uh, it, you know, a, or, or open a certain record or search my name. Like, for example, when my car got stolen in 2017, that reason is there in the documents. Right. Uh, you know, Constable so and so did a search in association with uh, uh, investigation uh, of that of a stolen vehicle. Right. But there uh, are is at least one record that is of uh, a highly uh, a personal nature uh, from something that occurred before I was elected, uh, where, you know, there is no uh, investigation, none of that happening. Uh, and that was the record that was opened many times by many different people with no law enforcement purpose listed. Uh, and one can only conclude that it was done for reasons of gossip, mischief making, you know, uh, just abusing their access to that data for political reasons. Connor's watching this morning. He says ninety three hundred pages, nine thousand three hundred pages. I mean, Deborah puts it lightly, says this is a waste of police resources. It's time that should have been directed to more urgent matters. A waste of police resources is 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 like responding to kids toilet papering evergreen trees. That's a waste of police resources. You don't call surveillance of elected officials a waste of police resources. That's scandalous. I mean, you know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of he's now a member of parliament. Everybody knows the story of Kerry Diot, a former Edmonton Sun columnist who was unpopular at the time with the Edmonton Police Service, who set up a sting operation at the overtime bar. People can Google Kerry Diot overtime. They suspected that he may drive impaired. Uh, an astute desker, we call them, a staffer on the Edmonton Sun's cop desk, was listening to the scanner and heard Kerry Diot's name coming up and alerted him that he better be careful about this. And turns out that people paid for it with their jobs. Ultimately, the chief of police in Edmonton resigned. I mean, this to me invokes that 
story. What do you think would be an appropriate response here? I mean, are you expecting the chief to resign? We should note that the chief of police in Lethbridge was not the chief when this was happening. Yeah, you know, I don't want, honestly, Ryan, I don't want to presuppose uh, outcomes of investigations. Like there's two Alberta Serious Incident Response Team investigations happening right now. And I want those uh, to do what they need to do. Like ultimately, Ryan, what I need here is for the system to work. Uh, I, I, I need accountability. I want transparency. I want res- restoration of trust, whatever that looks like. But, you know, what it doesn't look like and what ha- has been distressing in the, uh, you know, to put, to put it charitably to me, is the defensive posture of, uh, uh, of the LPS, of the, you know, like there's just this serial uh, pattern of, of, of uh, just not taking ownership over the very clear problems that happened here, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's no comment this and it's making up reasons that and, you know, even the responsive documents in the, the, the freedom of information request, you know, the reason was, oh, you know, it's too hard for us to search all the emails uh, of everyone. Well, you know what, I was the Minister of Environment and brought in the carbon tax legislation. I can tell you that I was foiped a lot. <laughs> Probably some of the most uh, FOIPs in the history of Alberta politics have been, you know, uh, directed at uh, my department. And email searches are uh, really straightforward, right? So this, you know, these, these silly reasons that I was given by these people um, are not lawful. They're not consistent with common sense or how the you know Freedom of Information Act works. That's just one example. Like they just, they just don't seem to fully appreciate the seriousness of it the uh the then what they need to do the work that needs to get done to restore public trust like and that to me it, like i just need to see evidence of that as we go through these processes yeah i mean you're being diplomatic as you might expect from uh, you know an official opposition finance critic former minister of the crown but let me read you what people are saying that are watching us right now carla says i have chills Listening to this Real Talk interview with Shannon Phillips about police misconduct in Lethbridge. Uh, Double Duties watching says, do you think they have files maybe on everybody who displayed a Shannon Phillips sign last campaign? Says it feels like the enemy's in charge here and they've got the guns and the gavel. Mark Doran's watching. Mark is one of the founders of the Polluter Pay Federation. He's working to get Alberta's orphan wells figured out. He says, do you think seriously that surveillance on Shannon Phillips is unique or rare? Think again. That from Mark. So who else has police keeping an eye on him? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I would hope that this is rare. And I would hope now that, uh, you know, all of the good officers who are out there are watching this and saying, oh, actually, you know, if I have a colleague who is, you know, going to color outside the lines of well-established professional standards uh, in, a, in a liberal democracy, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, that there should be consequences for that. Because otherwise, entire police forces are going to pay with their reputational damage. Um, and, and that's that's not a good outcome. And that's why LPS needs to take this seriously. And it's unfortunate that they haven't from the beginning. Um, so, uh, it, you know, I would hope that it is actually rare. And, and you know, when you make reference to the, the Carrie Diot piece, again, you know, these are people who 
uh, you know, in my case and in that case, had uh, access to resources. In the case of uh, uh, the media, it was access to a police scanner. Uh, uh, for me, it, it was, you know, staff who have had my back, uh, people who have, have helped me out along the way. And, you know, now that uh, uh, this is all rolling along, uh, I, you know, someone who has 20 years experience in, in Alberta politics knows how to use the Freedom of Information Act. Um, so to the extent that it is not being caught, I think that's where there's space for police act reform. There's there's space for you know individual police services to really take a long look uh, at, at how they they conduct themselves um, and what's acceptable. Um, and the and, and I think there's one other piece here. You know we've had this sort of shedding of the guardrails of, of uh, a liberal democracy with extreme partisanship and in particular polarized partisanship on the right, right? Where it's everything is a war and everything, you know, is an existential threat. Uh, and all of this just really heightened rhetoric. And in particular, what that does is that it puts, you know, women and, and, and others, uh, you know, in progressive politics, really in the crosshairs of, of, of uh, some of that dangerous rhetoric. And I think institutions need to understand the threat that that kind of turning up the dials uh, of, of how we understand our, our interaction with political life what kind of corrosive effect ultimately that has on our democracy. These guys, you know, did this because they were radicalized by BS on Facebook, right? Just like a steady stream of lies about what we were doing in Castle and, and uh, you know, vilifying me and, and uh, uh, you know, just vile stuff. Uh, and that became normalized and created a permission structure for this garbage to happen. So I think everybody needs to understand here that we are in this time and it does uh, present certain challenges to democracy, to democratic engagement, to people, you know, being active in civil society. Um, you went and, for our, uh, and there's, I, I, there's lots of room for action there, right? Yeah. So all different levels of government and people. You, you talk about what's going on in Castle for the benefit of the people that aren't familiar. I want to point out that your government had done some work to to protect uh, the eastern slopes of the Rockies uh, in Alberta. These two police officers at the diner in 2017 in an investigation revealed that they were off-road enthusiasts. So am I, by the way. But they were off-road enthusiasts that had a real problem with what your government's plan was there. It started to make sense in the years to follow and most especially just the past six months, maybe why Alberta's conservatives were so intense on keeping that parkland from becoming official and it's because they wanted to mine coal on the eastern slopes and albertans had something to say about it and the government was forced to walk that one back i also want to make a quick note that it's a story worth following nothing to do with lethbridge but when we talk about accountability and police edmonton police have moved their radio communications to an encrypted system this was just a couple of months ago locking out the public locking out news media from tuning in through scanners it's part of the alberta first responder radio communications system and it's drawing mixed results and people can google that if they want to learn more shannon i noticed that you i don't know if i say praised but you acknowledged uh alberta's justice minister you acknowledged uh, minister casey madu and ministers uh, doug schweitzer as well for their response to this um what about i mean i, I saw that minister madu stated that he was outraged uh, yesterday what do you expect to see from the government here what impresses you about what they've been handling it to this point 
I don't know uh, uh, what they are going to do. And uh, I spoke with Mr. Maru, uh, Minister Maru last night. And uh, you know what, Ryan? Uh, I think there are some issues that don't fit as tidily uh, within uh, a strict partisan lines. And uh, I'm grateful that this is one of them, uh, at least at this point. And, uh, uh, you know, Minister Maru uh, phoned me. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, said uh, very similar things to what he said in the media, which was uh, uh, that he was, uh, uh, you know, going to make sure that the investigations follow. And that's that's the right thing. And I deeply appreciate that, just as I did uh, uh, Minister Doug Schweitzer's quick action in July when the first story came to light. And you know what? The premier himself also uh, expressed his support. And I'm grateful for that too. You know, there are some things that we're just, we leave aside, uh, you know, our relative uh, views on on how we, you know, tax people and what kind of services uh, uh, we provide them for that. Um, Those are legitimate disagreements. My constituents elected me, you know, to bring a certain perspective and there's uh, uh, the same thing for them. But at base, our constituents elected us to make decisions uh, and uh, uh, that's the system we have. And they recognize that we need to be able to uh, uh, undertake those duties without uh, interference by people with uh, a gun and a bat. And uh, and I recognize that too, that should we shouldn't have to say it, <laughs> Ryan. Like, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort, of, sort of, you know, just crazy to me that we live in this time where we actually have to say those world, words out loud. That, you, you know, you're elected to do a job and, and uh, nobody can t- intimidate you from doing that job. But that's the point we're at in uh, our democratic life. So if I can take those points of convergence with, uh, uh, you know, the UCP government, uh, uh, you know, with whom I disagree on any number of topics, uh, I will acknowledge it. I will appreciate it. And I will express my public gratitude. I've got some uh, listeners here this morning that are tuned in live, uh, including on our Mixler live streaming app, um, suggesting that there's an issue, a bigger issue here at play with the Lethbridge Police Service. Now, I'm going to. I'm going to name I'm going to list off some issues here. Now, I, I'll recognize there are there are hundreds of officers down there that respond to hundreds of calls every week, and I'm sure that some of them do a great job. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is not all officers. However, there is uh, there are allegations that police reports have, have have been collected in a duty that did not fit the diligence of what you would expect for a police officer around the cancellation of funding for Lethbridge's supervised consumption site arches. The head of Lethbridge Police's domestic violence team has recently stepped down as a result of allegations around an unwanted sexual relationship with a client. Uh, Lethbridge police officers just a short time ago took down and violently arrested a restaurant worker who on May 4th for May the 4th be with you at a Star Wars themed restaurant was wearing a stormtrooper costume. A Lethbridge police officer was criticized by the public and investigated after running over a deer six times with his police cruiser in an attempt to kill it. I mean, what the hell is going on with the Lethbridge police service? This is your hometown. Well, uh, that's a question for them to answer and to take seriously. And that's but you're why an elect- I- yeah, you're an elected official and yeah. this is your city. I mean, I would that's not, you know, it's your problem, too. Yeah, it is my problem. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, as I have said, uh, both publicly and privately to uh, a number of folks in the community, you know, look, I am tired of these kinds of stories. I pay property taxes, too, and and uh, I am not interested in in uh, this kind of of just continual barrage of of embarrassing headlines uh, because ultimately it has an effect on public safety. 
right? Uh, if you can't trust uh, uh, the uh, uh, law enforcement officials, then you're going to, that's going to chip away at the foundation of trust. So, you know, uh, uh, they, they need to take this seriously. I think that there's a, a, a serious reckoning at the police commission that has to happen uh, as a, a first instance. And um, I, I think the uh, minister is meeting with them today. So that's good. Um, I think that, uh, you know, ultimately we do need better civilian oversight. That's a matter for uh, police act reform. And, uh, you know, that again is one of these non-controversial things that uh, I think all parties share depends on how far uh, various parties go, but I think there's a general consensus that that needs to happen. Um, and uh, I, I think like, so there's, there's style points here and there's substance, right? And so on the substance, you know, we need to make sure that ACERT investigations aren't just like, oh, whatever, right? And there's a shrug and a walk away uh, because th that has happened in the past. And I don't think it's going to happen in this case. And I, I've spoken to, to ACERT and I think they're going to take this seriously. So there's that. They better. Um, there's, uh, uh, but there's, but then there's, there's the style points. <laughs> and, uh, you know, not to be a figure skating judge about this, but the LPS has failed on that at every single opportunity, right? Where they were kind of given an opportunity to, to you know, uh, uh, either take uh, more action or or say, you know, no, that disciplinary action wasn't good enough. Or, you know, yes, Phillips, you should appeal this uh, to, the, uh, to the law enforcement review board. They didn't do any of that. Uh, they haven't said, okay, actually, you know, this dates back, you know, uh, uh, since before my time. So we're going to, you know, I, I use whatever uh, tools we have in the act to have a more fulsome inquiry uh, or, or, you know, or even respond to media requests. And that's what I'm a little sick of uh, is, is, the, is the serial bungling of this from a, a, a straight communications perspective, because that is the biggest thing that goes to public trust, uh, and, and that's the thing that, that that annoys you know citizens across the city, uh, and, and I'm going to assume. Lethbridge police officers themselves, right? The vast majority of whom are, are are grinding away at a tough job every day. They're my constituents too. And I want people to trust them and I want them to be safe when they do their jobs. And I want them to, you know, have the resources that they need to, you know, go prosecute bad guys. I, I, that's what I, I want ultimately out of my police service that I pay for and everyone else does as well. Um, and, 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 you know, when they can't just seem to communicate their way out of a paper bag, um, that's what, you know, at the very first instance, that's a low to no cost uh, uh, solution that they can undertake. And then they can start thinking about what their substantive response to some of this is. You are the NDP's uh, finance critic. And I happen to know that there's a committee meeting that is beginning literally right now. And you're leading the charge on that. So I got to let you go. Thank you for this. Thank you. That's Shannon Phillips. She's the MLA out of Lethbridge West, literally from this interview right into a committee meeting. We appreciate her exclusive availability here on Real Talk. This is where you're going to find these kinds of interviews. Um, Karen, uh, using the, you know, the hashtag Real Talk RJ, that's what we keep an eye on on Twitter, says, I'm pretty sure that black and indigenous people already know how this feels. Coots coot. Coot scoot and boogie says, uh, you know, Jess, well, this makes me wonder if, if I'm in police files, am I? Because I've met Shannon at her office. This is definitely an abuse of power. So who can actually impartially investigate this? Albertans will hope that ACERT, the Alberta Serious Incident Response Team, will respond to this in a, in a fashion that we would expect, which would be uh, with integrity. 
Scott's written in talk at RyanJesperson.com says the, this case with the Lethbridge Police Service and, and MLA Phillips is very troubling. Scott says, I myself grew up in the city of Saskatoon. And I know that, well, not all police are bad. Obviously, some see no problem taking the law into their own hands to get the results they want. He says, I'm talking specifically about the Starlight Tours in the 1990s. This is from Scott. We've talked about this on the show before. If you're wondering what a Starlight Tour is, Google Starlight Tour Saskatoon and, and, and brace yourself to be emotionally devastated. Scott says that situation only became resolved when officers within the Saskatoon Police Department had the courage to come forward to try to do something about what was happening. And not long after that, the chief resigned, a new mayor was elected, and public faith in the police was eventually restored. These Lethbridge officers had access to a citizen's private data and used it because they didn't agree with government policy. What if the Calgary police did this to Premier Kenny or the Edmonton police to former Premier Rachel Notley? There was a similar case decades ago, Ryan, when the Edmonton police, here it is, came after columnist Carrie Diot. Police cannot and should not be allowed to do this and expect to still hold on to their job. It is in the public interest to fire both of these officers, perhaps the chief as well, for not doing his job, which is to serve and protect the people of Lethbridge. Chief's not getting fired. I'll tell you that much. Scott says Shannon has to be one of the bravest people I've known for holding these officers to task, demanding justice for their actions. Most people may have walked away. But she deserves our respect for having the courage to keep going on this. He's obviously a fan. He goes on to say, I don't know what we did to deserve Shannon, but I hope she stays in Alberta because every day she's here, she makes Alberta a better place for everybody that lives here. That's from Scott, who's a fan. Our live chat's been going off on this. I mean, this is, you know, <laughs> you know, Whitroom says, you know, mayors across Alberta should be calling for investigations as well. They should make it clear these acts are not allowed in any community in the province. This is, yes, about Shannon Phillips and the Lethbridge police officers, but it's about a bigger issue, right? Number one, I mean, how many times have we seen stories? I mean, you, you know, you can Google them. They've happened here in Alberta. They've happened across Canada. They happen around the world. Police officers, for example, or, or, or people that work as 911 dispatchers or people with access to these systems, maybe a jaded ex, right? Maybe having a difficult time saying goodbye in so long and I, and I won't call you anymore to a former girlfriend or a former boyfriend, you know, surveillance, intimidation, these things do happen. Now, someone's going to write in and say, my, my wife's a police officer and she would never do that. Or my, my, my boyfriend, my brother's a cop. He's wonderful. He took a bullet for somebody one time. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. If I'm a police officer, I'm troubled and outraged by this. Nobody should be more pissed off about this than Lethbridge police officers. I am surprised and I'm not surprised that, that the police chief in Lethbridge declined, at least to this point, our request for an interview. I would love to speak to him about this. If I'm him, I want to get ahead of this story, but I would imagine he's going to say he's going to let the investigation play out before he comments on this. As a matter of fact, if, if you read Carolyn Dunn's excellent reporting for the CBC, uh, Carolyn's the one that broke this story yesterday. The Lethbridge Police Service has, has been, in a way, and, and I don't use the word lightly, but intimidating or attempting to intimidate the CBC. Telling the CBC that, that you know, quote, this is Lethbridge Police Service Chief uh, Medzada says it would be, quote, improper for uh, any staff members of the police service to comment publicly while an investigation is ongoing. He says it would also be highly improper for the CBC to report any conclusions about who did or did not conduct a database search without investigative purpose until the ACERT investigation properly has run its course. 
CBC's got good lawyers. Others say, you know, talk, says, you know, Stephanie says this is absolutely appalling. This is disgusting behavior. This is a breach of public trust. Erica says there needs to be tighter oversight on police, but not by civilians. Erica says, after all, you wouldn't want some random civilians to decide if a doctor botched your surgery, would you? That from Erica. I mean, police commissions are made up of civilians. Worth pointing out, but I can also take Erica's point. Two Beaver says, you know, they spend millions following indigenous people around. Everybody seems to be okay with that. What's the difference? Cindy Blackstock says Two Beaver is the most glaring example. Mark says current chief should fire the officers involved. They can no longer be trusted with the private data of citizens. I don't know how in particular, I'm not even talking about the 11 months, the the minimum of eight different data searches into private matters involving Shannon Phillips. I'm not even touching on that. That's a huge problem, huge problem, right? But those two officers in the diner in uniform on duty, snapping photos of Shannon Phillips in the diner, sharing them by text message, posting them to a Facebook page and Shannon says misrepresenting the subject matter of the conversation. The officers said that they were there discussing this castle park plan, the provincial park plan in uniform. How do you keep your job? How on earth do you keep your job? You trust those guys? I mean, me speaking about it, should I worry about it? I mean, how many of you right now are sitting here going, do I need to foip my name? Do I need to do a freedom of information request on my name? Right? You might be watching saying, I, I like I donated to Greenpeace or, or I opposed the coal mining in the Rockies or, you know, I voted for the Alberta party. Like, do, do I need to uh, do I need to worry that I'm under surveillance? This I, I, I get the sense, you know, because this is not a naive group of fools that gathers here every day, is it on this show? This is a pretty woke, pretty savvy audience. How many of you believe that this is the full story right now, that Shannon Phillips is the only individual being surveilled by just that one police department and nobody else has anything else to worry about? Not me. You can let me know what you think. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is the best way to get in touch with us to make sure we'll see your email. Real Talk RJ is our hashtag on Twitter. And of course, our live chat is always churning through our live broadcast starting at 10.30 Eastern, 8.30 Mountain Time. We're going to talk women's health in just a moment. Wanted to remind you that the team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge right now is boasting not just the best selection of the 2021 Jeep lineup at both of their locations, including this Grand Cherokee L that's coming out. That's the third row, the seven-seater, plus that Grand Wagoneer that everybody's talking about. They're taking on Navigator and Escalade and the Mercedes, the X5, the Beamer. Like They're taking all those luxury brands head-on with this beautiful Jeep, but they've also got the best selection of Dodge Ram 1500 pickups in the province. Go see Scott and his team, some great financing options, including 0% on approved credit at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. The team at Kubi Energy, you're gonna meet Jake. He's the founder of Kubi Energy. He's joining us on Friday for our solar panel. That's gonna be a great conversation starting at 11 Eastern, nine Mountain. Kubi Energy is Tesla certified. They employ certified electricians and apprentices to make sure that your install job is done right. Plus, they handle all your paperwork. You know, 
on commercial installs in the province of Alberta right now, there's a great government incentive. Talk to the team at Kubi Energy under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. They can help you sort that one out. Also wanted to give a shout out to the team at Clean Air Club this morning. How do you save money and breathe easy at the same time? Well, simple. You go to cleanairclub.ca. You check out the size of furnace filter you need. It's stamped right on the side of your furnace, right? That cardboard filter that pulls out. Just get those numbers. You punch it in on their website. They deliver the furnace filter replacements to your door. Next thing you know, you've done your family a favor. Plus, you'll pay less than you would in store at cleanairclub.ca. Now, Sam, we may not be uh, crushing beers or having, you know, boozy, creamy coffees this morning, but we still can do whatever we want. And so I'm going to make an executive decision and blow through our newscast because I suspect that we have three guests that are locked and loaded, ready to go correctly. Let's bring them in, shall we? You got it. Samuel G. Brooks. The Sam is steering the ship here on Real Talk as we say good morning to Dr. Sandra Davidge, executive director of the Women and Children's Health Research Institute. Dr. Colleen Norris, who's a professor and a a clinician scientist at the U of A's faculties of nursing medicine and School of Public Health. And Dr. Jane Schultz, who's a professor in the U of A's Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, yesterday launching uh, albertawomenshealthfoundation.org, the Alberta Women's Health Foundation. Doctors, welcome to the show and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, I want to encourage the, the, the three of you to, to speak freely, to, to interact with one another. You don't have to wait for me to ask you questions. Uh, Dr. Davids, why don't we start with you? Yesterday, International Women's Day. Many are observing International Women's Week. In the context of women's health, where do we need to begin our conversation? That is great, but I feel like my internet is slow. How, how am I? <laughs> no, we can hear you perfectly. Okay, perfect. Um, Yes, so uh, Alberta Women's Health Foundation just launched um, an amazing, amazing uh, activity that we're doing here in Alberta. Women's health is needed, women's health research. Uh, We need to close the gap. We have uh, gaps in knowledge, gaps in advocacy, and Alberta is in the forefront. And the launch of the Alberta Women's Health Foundation just puts us um, right in place to be able to do more for women's health. Dr. Norris, a big part of this, and, I, and I've been keeping an eye on the on the hashtag, I refer people to refocus the research. Now, I, I'm sure we could do an hour just on this, but what's the premise of that message of refocusing the research? Refocusing it on women, because uh, traditionally women um, uh, don't participate in clinical trials. And I don't know if people know that when we set up guidelines for how to care for you, uh, it's based on all the research that's been done ahead of that, uh, clinical trials that have been done. And if women aren't participating in it, then we actually don't know if the treatment works for women. And that goes for medications. It goes for medical devices. We've just um, never included women in the research that's going on. So refocusing is saying, okay, we have to, it's, you know, in, I I do women's heart health research and we had hashtag time to see red. It's time to say, wake up and smell the roses. We need to start including women in the trials, in the treatment, in decisions about what's going on with their health, because they've just traditionally been left out of the picture. Uh, Dr. Schultz, why do you think that is? Is it it that there's been a a lack of awareness there is, is there been a lack of representation in the, in the field of researchers or, or is it that the funding isn't directed there? Or, I mean, are we able to pinpoint why we're at this point now? So it's a number of factors. Um, women tend to be underrepresented in clinical trials. So 
um, uh, women are busy. Women are mothers. They're working women. They are caring potentially for families. So access to research becomes a challenge because they cannot necessarily even get in to do the trial visits. Um, women have only been included in research studies in the last three decades. And before that, it was primarily focused on men. So women are underrepresented in trials. And then we look at our indigenous and marginalized populations that potentially are completely excluded. So we know that those groups are definitely underrepresented in research. And the thing is, research drives innovation and changes in clinical care. So we don't like just make stuff up and practice it in clinical practice, right? We go based on the evidence that has been provided in research trials. Um, and then with COVID, um, we've seen increased uh, reductions in access to care. So this new Alberta Women's um, Health Foundation and the Canadian collaboration we have, and also our Women's and Children's Health Research Institute are supporting research for women and driving innovations in clinical care, which is huge for all the women of our province. Doctors, I want to I want to read a, a thread from Twitter here, and then I'll, and then I'll ask you to respond to it. This is is from Maximum Jill on Twitter, who I know has been really proud to be working on the launch of the Alberta Women's Health Foundation. She says, you know, for most of medicine's history, studies on the human body were done exclusively on men. Even today, only eight percent of Canadian health research funding is done specifically on women's health. Eight percent. She says, basically, our health system has been studying men and then painting women with the same brush. Jill says it takes about 17 years for research to reach the patient population. Women have only been included in health research studies for about the last 20 years, 20 years. And she says the consequences of this inequity are grim. 75% of all adverse drug reactions happen to women. That was news to me. She says every year in Alberta, 300 women are sent home from the ER, 300, like, like five or six a week, one a day only to come back having a heart attack because our heart attacks look different than men's heart attacks. She says 70% of patients with medically unexplained symptoms are women. Most mental health therapy is based on men when women are more likely to have depression. Women are more likely to die prematurely from largely preventable illnesses like lung or cervical cancer. She says, in conclusion, it's no exaggeration to say we die because of inequity in women's health research. And like other inequities, it's even worse for black and indigenous people of color and trans women. Dr. David, is that pretty bang on? Is that pretty accurate? It is. That was amazing summary of everything that you, we've been talking about. Um, there's a few things I'd like to point out. There's both unique and distinct needs for women. The uniqueness is, is the ovarian cancer, reproductive pregnancy history, can all have an impact on later chronic disease. So when you think of pregnancy, that's very specific to women, reproductive, um, but it's not just the nine months. It's the, also the um, effect of uh, pregnancy complication later in life. We have 52,000 births in this province. 10% or up to 20% could be complicated by gestational diabetes or preeclampsia, dire conditions of pregnancy. But this can impact a woman's health later in life also can affect a child and the development of those children. And not to give a plug for the Women and Children's Health Research Institute, but we are able to look at research across the spectrum 
because of the partnership between the Alberta Women's Health Foundation that was launched yesterday and the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation, which are a partnership with the University of Alberta and Alberta Health Services. So we are so well positioned in this province to really do more by our women and children in the province. I'd also like to say one more thing is that this is a trickle forward effect. So it's a ripple effect if you want to put it that way in that healthier mothers, healthier children, healthier communities. So it impacts the whole. So when we talk about women's health, it is about families. It's about men too, you know? So the more we can understand about the differences, uh, the more we can uh, really do better by both sexes. So I think uh, this is a win-win for everybody that we focus on women's health. Hey, uh, and by the way, Dr. David, I just want to release yourself from any, you say not, you know, you say just not, not to, not to plug the Alberta Women's Health Foundation. You plug it all you like. Uh, you've got okay. a, you've got a captive audience here that I'm sure would love to learn more about it. Uh, Dr. Norris, uh, Dr. Norris, I, I happen to know that you've, you've, you've published, uh, you've published uh, more than 300 uh, papers. Uh, in the areas of, of sex and gender differences in cardiovascular treatment and outcomes, you're an expert uh, in women's health, heart health. Um, I, I was uh, I was surprised to hear that and I didn't know this, uh, that women's heart attacks can look very different, or at least maybe the symptoms of them or the, the red flags uh, different than men's. There's a bunch of women that are going to be listening to this podcast, a bunch of women watching right now. What do we need to know about that? So that's the, the most important message, actually, about um, women's heart health and the message that we're trying to get out there. And um, it's the fact that women present differently. And, you know, earlier it said 300. You, you mentioned the fact that 300 women are coming into emergency departments and being sent home and then coming back. Actually, that's within 30 days. That's not within 30 days they're coming back having had a heart attack and so it's it's a real gap and it it's likely related to the fact that women do present differently and there's a really good video um that anyone can look at uh, with elizabeth banks um ha where she's having a heart attack and or she's getting ready for breakfast and she's getting her kids ready for school and she says i keep getting hotter and hotter and um to go back to those symptoms, we're talking about things like women don't typically have, they have chest discomfort, but they don't have that Hollywood heart attack elephant sitting on my chest. Um, sweating, nausea. The, the most interesting to me was the research that was done that said that uh, the women that had had a heart attack the month prior had had such unusual fatigue that they thought something's something's wrong like I when you're making the bed you have to sit down and take a breath and say I am exhausted um, so that's really an unusual presentation sign but the thing about all these signs lightheadedness nausea there's women that had thought they had the flu went to bed and then uh, went back to their doctor and found out that they'd had a heart attack so the thing about these symptoms that you women I think need to pay attention to is that they they come on like it's say you've always hiked you've always walked around your block or you've always walked around in your neighborhood, but now you're getting short of breath when you're doing it. And you're thinking, well, maybe I got a cold or maybe in, in this time, maybe it's COVID related, but ultimately it's that change, right? Like that this is something that something's not right. And I, you know, I think any woman will tell you they know their bodies better than anyone else. And so that if I am presenting to the emergency department and I'm saying, you know, something's really not wrong. And here's what I'm experiencing. Um, our, our whole, we had a Go Red campaign on February 13th across Canada. And it's to tell women that don't let them send you home. Say, I, would you check my heart, please? I think there's something going on. There's something wrong. And not to just uh, be told, well, maybe it's your stomach. Maybe it's a panic attack, which are 
are typically the things that women are diagnosed with when they're sent home. They either have a thing called GERD or suggest they have GERD or uh, abdominal issues or uh, stomach issues, or the other is you're having pan panic attacks or anxiety issues, and you should go see your family practitioner about this. Um, so it's making, making women aware that they're their best advocates if you say, you know what, I really want you to check this out. And actually, you know, as mentioned, it's not just the women, it's the men being being um, aware that this could happen as well. You know, it, interesting, um, I was taking care of three women, this has really sparked my interest a couple of years ago, taking care of three women that were in the cardiovascular ICU. And they were 52, 52 and 54 years of age. All three had had massive heart attacks at home. They had all been to the emergency department. The two of them had been there twice. One had been there three times. They'd been sent home from the emergency department. And as a result, they uh, they ended up having this heart attack at home. But when, when you looked at these women, they weren't overweight. They were not smokers. They'd been physically fit. They were following all the rules. Um, and we're starting to discover that women have different just because we've never done the tests. Women have different types of heart disease than men do. They don't have obstructive heart disease where uh, a blood clot or um, uh, uh, something breaks away and blocks the arteries in your heart. Women actually have disease underneath in the smaller vessels of the heart that we can't see with the diagnostic tools that we have right now. So, Anyways, these three women, one of the husbands ha was a, ha had taken CPR because his father had uh, been, uh, had heart issues. So he had taken a CPR course and he actually saved his wife's life when she fell in the bathroom and he went in there and found that she'd had a myocardial infarction. So it's just important that the men are recognizing that this is going on. And, and just to clarify, you're talking about women in their early 50s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like we did a study of women under 55, who, yeah. uh, men and women under 55 who had heart attacks. And it, I mean, it's there. It's happening. So is this like is this a bigger picture around and, and, and maybe Dr. Schultz, I'll ask you, but but I'm sure that all of you could comment on this. Is, is this an issue of of physicians? I, I mean, so there's a lack of research here um, or, or a lack of meaningful or focused research anyway, which probably is the root cause here and, and and that's great in the sense that it's identifiable and, and we can make an impact and that's what this campaign uh, aims to do to refocus the research but what about the education of, of specialists you know cardiologists and neurologists and endocrinologists and you know what what about what about people in intake what about people managing triage what about i mean how how much i mean as we look through the whole healthcare system are there issues that need to be corrected essentially every step of the way? Yeah, so I mean, um, education is a huge piece of this. So it's education of the public um, and the women themselves. It's education of families. It's education of the healthcare providers. Um, so because of the deficiencies in women's health research, we're like um, Dr. Norris alluded to, we're not aware of some of the answers and there are different diagnostic tests that need to be done um, in this population. And uh, the research will certainly drive that and provide new standards 
standards of care. But the other thing is that um, in terms of women's health provision and providing our future generations. So one of my roles is I'm uh, the interim department chair for the academic department of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Alberta Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry. So we're teaching future providers. We train all our future obstetrician gynecologists. We're training our future uh, family physicians. We train emergency physicians in women's health. And um, there's certainly a lesser um, focus sometimes on women's health or um, lesser funding of education of women's health. There are some inequities in the programs and teaching. Um, there are challenges related to uh, um, educating your future health providers. So, I mean, we have, um, as Dr. Davidj alluded to, there's 52,000 deliveries in the province. There is um, almost 20,000 in Edmonton. And um, COVID has definitely um, impacted and disrupted some of that in terms of um, educating our future providers. It's disrupted training. Um, so those are certainly a concern. Um, but we have some amazing programs at the Lois Hole Hospital for Women. We have subspecialty programs. We have our high-risk obstetrics and gynecology clinic with our maternal fetal medicine group that are doing studies on COVID care um, and other prenatal disorders. That group interact very closely with Dr. Davidge's research group and some of the basic scientists at the university looking at um, preterm labor, high-risk pregnancies, hypertension. And as Dr. Davidge alluded to, many of these conditions affect the future health of women and even their offspring. We have special diabetes in pregnancy clinics. So we have a group of obstetrical medicine providers at the ALEC. Um, we have a pelvic floor clinic for mature women's health um, where we look after women with their pelvic floor disorders. So one in three women will have a pelvic floor disorder after having had kids. So they may pee their pants, poop their pants, have vaginal prolapse. So we have a, a multidisciplinary clinic at the Lois Hole Hospital for, for Women that provides care for that. We have a menopause clinic, pelvic pain clinic. We have our gynecologic cancer specialists. So it's a huge team that all work together. Um, and these platforms such as the Alberta Women's Health Foundation and the Women's and Children's Health Research Institute help provide that network of collaboration, uh, both for research and education of these providers. Our foundation's also been profoundly generous at the Lois Hole Hospital, um, having provided a simulation center where we can train future providers. And this includes both um, our medical students and our obstetrics and gynecology trainees. We have a, a simulation center where you can actually deliver a baby and practice like um, shoulder dystocia or breach. And that has all been funded through our foundation. Um, there are educational research projects looking at best modalities for providing future education. Uh, we have simulation labs at the university as well. Um, so we're really well positioned, um, but we, de we definitely need the resources to see the best ways to move forward and uh, provide this ongoing care for women as we um, move ahead with the, the network. Dr. Schultz, I'm when gonna, it, uh, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but one no. of the things that really came to mind uh, when 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 um, Jane was talking is that all of the foundations are supported by women in the community and that those women, I, I presented to the Alberta Women's Health Foundation the other night on women's heart health and the questions that they raise actually direct us, direct not just the researchers, but the clinicians, because they're saying, this happened to me. And I'll sit there and say, 
how is that possible that that happened? Okay, we need to follow that up. We need to see if that's happening all the time. You know, how is you start hearing about people that have been turned away from the emergency, like this was a few years ago, turned away from the emergency, and you're saying, how is that possible? So these women um, are are so helpful in directing where this is all going. And one of the things, one of the studies we did that just blew me away when I'm speaking about women and, and being partners in research is, and this was supported by WICRI, is we we had uh, tables, um, focus groups of women who had had a heart event of some kind and now we're living with heart disease. And it was the first time I was sitting listening to the focus groups and we were asking them questions, they were responding and, and then it came up that one of them said, I was really embarrassed that I had heart disease because the word on the street is, if you have it, it's your fault. You didn't take care of yourself. Oh, you yeah. didn't walk enough. You, uh, you're overweight. You know, you drink too much. So that it's sort of the, under the table. They're not telling anyone that they have heart disease, which is just absolutely crazy, especially when we're looking at the younger women who have it that don't have any of the traditional risk factors. Like I said, those three women I took care of, not smokers, not drinkers, you know, so that um, the women... It was the first time for me as a researcher where I thought, oh, okay, well, we're directing all our messages, but we've got to really pay attention to what these women are saying. They're telling us that it's they don't have the, the social network in order to get better and to get the support they need. Dr. Norris, so, I'll never forget talking to someone uh, just so happened to be a woman. I don't th- know if that's relevant or not, but uh, she's bravely fighting lung cancer. And, and it seemed it struck me in the course of the conversation. I don't want to speak on her behalf. She's very candid. And it struck me that she was more concerned that people were going to think she was a smoker and that she got lung cancer from smoking than she was with the fact that she had lung cancer. I mean, I'm being facetious to a certain degree, but it was it was like she was ashamed of the type of cancer that had be, you know, that she had been uh, the cards she had been dealt. Oh, totally. Like, think of it yourself. Like it, it just that's part of our healthcare system. I mean, even I, I'm always holding back when I'm saying, you know, how do you get, how do you uh, make sure you're taking care of your heart? Well, stay active and um, maintain a healthy diet. Uh, Another anecdote about this is that Royal Alec Hospital has this wonderful clinic for uh, uh, postpartum women who had uh, eclampsia, which is uh, part of the high blood pressure issues and um, um, they have protein in their urine. It's it's not good is what it is. And um, this woman had absolute had agreed to be part of a clinical trial and they had this incredible clinic for women where they are part of a clinical trial, but they also have access to nutrition and and physiotherapy and um, a psychology, uh, postpartum psychology care. And the um, I was at the clinic uh, just watching, and um, they also have uh, obstetricians, gynecologists, all the healthcare needs that you would have. The, and they have a problem with um, women um, coming to clinic, even though they've signed up for the trial. And while I was there, the phone rang, and it was this woman, and you could hear the baby crying in the back, and she said, I've been driving around this effing parking lot for two hours and I'm going home. And and I thought, okay, there again is the woman directing us. If we are going to do this care, we need to figure out how we do it in the community. Because have, have you ever tried to park at the Royal Alec Hospital? Like I, I have, it's, yeah. it's, it's not possible. So, you know, paying attention to the, the, the issues that this now is a mother at home with a new infant and, and how do we, how do we, 
work around that as far as research is concerned and as you know with all of the all of the um all of the stuff that we can bring to the table those people are bringing more to the table to us to help direct research for women that's dr colleen norris also joined by uh, doctors jane schultz and sandra davidge um, I, I want to get to, I mean, the live chat here, the, 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 uh, the viewers, the listeners this morning, very engaged in this. I can't wait till the podcast lands because people are going to, I know, find great value in this conversation. Greg says, I'm so happy we're having this conversation. He says, these are common discussions that my partner and I have, which, by the way, is a great thing that they're talking about this. Right. But, but let me just read some of these comments. And, and doctors, I'll ask you to pick some out that, that you know, especially intrigue you. Deborah says this is a really interesting chat. Because I was just reading that women were having more reactions to the COVID vaccine than men. I don't know if that's true, but Deborah notes that. Um, Terry says, as a woman, uh, I'm treated far differently than male patients with similar complaints when I attend a walk-in clinic or when I access an ER. Um, you know, others say, uh, Heidi says, pelvic floor health is such a concern for women that I think it's just starting to become acceptable to talk about. So many women take it for granted that you pee your pants after childbirth and it's not okay, right? Um, There's you know, a huge stigma around that. So, I mean, that's when, I mean, that's my subspecialty area of interest. And we've done studies looking at um, patients' knowledge and access to care. And certainly our um, minority and immigrant population have challenges particularly but there is a stigma associated with this i mean it's interesting we've done a lot of work with the foundation and each year we have a harvest celebration to raise money for the lowest hole hospital for women and it's done in conjunction with um the foundation and uh we do we feature a different thing each year so we featured um recurrent pregnancy loss fertility issues cancer um mental health um high-risk pregnancy all these types of things and in most of those circumstances we've been able to have a patient that has very generously and kindly come forward and told their story because stories are what matters it's the stories of these women and how they're affected and how it impacts their life um but for the pelvic floor one we actually were not even able to get anyone that would come forward to be part of that video campaign we had to hire an actress because no one will come forward and say i'm peeing my pants my vagina is hanging out and this then has massive impact because it impacts their ability to work it impacts their ability to care for their families and again this is work and research that has been supported both by the foundation and by the women's and children's health research institute and we have a great multidisciplinary team that works here so there are a lot of these taboo topics uh, mental health is another one we've seen a lot of challenges with mental health especially related to the pandemic of women being isolated at home isolated with their newborns issues with anxiety issues with depression we do have the access 24 7 for mental health but mental health is certainly underfunded and there is many areas that we could look at improving um, there are issues with the opioid crisis and with domestic violence especially with women being at home and having to work at home. So there's a huge range of issues that um, need to be looked at and we can definitely do better. I and I'd like, like to jump in there if I could, just absolutely. real briefly about the pelvic floor um, issues. It's uh, hard to get funding on a federal level for things like uh, affecting lifestyle and care. So um, usually it's life and death. And that's where the foundation, Alberta Women's Health Foundation, the fact that we have people in the community supporting research, it's really incredibly important, but may not get funded at a federal level. So it's just uh, an amazing um, 
like I said, being in Edmonton allows for women to have the best care at the site of care because we have a strong research um, institute here able to support that. Hmm. Laura's uh, watching this morning and she she touches. We, we talked just yesterday about uh, period poverty uh, and advocacy around uh, more awareness of, of menstrual issues. And, and, and yeah, it was in the context of, of, of providing hygiene products for women. But we can expand that conversation. Laura writes in about premenstrual dysphoric uh, disorder, PMDD. And she says that, you know, so many women um, spend so much time suffering and spend years fighting to be heard on this um i've got another comment it's sort of a recurring comment that you know sandra here i'll put it in her words says you know a lot of er doctors don't seem to give women credit for knowing their own bodies um you know tracy says i have a friend that had an abnormal pap when she had her baby she was never notified she found out three years later she had stage 3b cervical cancer now is in stage 4b she's 32 years of age i mean that's just an absolutely devastating story so people are going to be watching this and going okay like obviously we're getting a lot of information here from you three and this is fascinating other people are going to are going to go bigger picture what can we do here if we if we need to refocus the research if we need to improve messaging or more of a focus on women's health you know what would be the call to action to the average civilian that doesn't have postdoctoral research work under their belt so you know that actually that i was um, at the open, the launch of the Alberta Women's Health Foundation yesterday, and they are putting up videos that actually, uh, like, they're really going to hit strongly because it's a video of a or a picture of a woman, but they've actually peeled away part of the skin to look underneath, and and it's the idea is that we're not men, you know, we have we we the uh, idea is for women to start recognizing that we aren't little men or smaller men, and that um, women's that's the key message is that you are different. You are not, you do, don't fall necessarily into all of what we know so far. And um, it just, it's so important that uh, I, I sound like a broken record that people start to advocate for themselves because you, you hear women that have gone into the emergency department and been turned down and like, like those three women I spoke about two and three times. And, and so um, it, it's time to see red and time to say, no, I'm not leaving here. Sort of like when uh, McDonald's used to say, could you go wait in line and we'll bring you your delivery out, out in the parking lot. And my husband would say, no, I'm, I'm staying right here. You can just deliver it to my window. So it's just putting your feet down and saying, no, I'm staying here. And um, I need to get some answers. And I'd like to, follow up on that just briefly that research uh, the um refocus the research as an albertan as it all total alberta it's it's the whole province and then they're working the alberta women's health foundation is working with their sister foundations across with bc and ontario so we're getting at the messaging out canadian wide so it is about messaging advocacy and supporting research for the best health care so it is this launch is more than just, hey, here's Alberta Women's Health Foundation. It really does span the whole province. And there are provincial chair. They do support a provincial chair in, in women's mental health. Um, and this is really going to be an important area by which we are looking at it provincial-wide, but also Canadian-wide and beyond. Our researchers focus beyond the borders of Canada as well. 
Laurel, I think women yeah, ahead, can Donna. advocate for them. I mean, as Colleen said, women can advocate for themselves, but also their family members or their spouses or their partners can also help advocate for them. So as Colleen has said, women know their bodies. So if you think something's wrong and you're not getting answers, then push to get answers or their um, spouse or partner or a family member can also help advocate for them. Um, I think education is a huge piece of this and certainly um, opportunities to um, spread the word and um, uh, so advocacy, access for um, minorities and marginalized populations and ed education is a huge key component. I've got uh, Scott's watching uh, this morning on Twitter. He hits me up. He says, I first learned about some of these discrepancies uh, relating to women's health a couple of years ago when the 99% Invisible podcast did an episode on Caroline Criado Perez's book, Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. Uh, looks like at least one of you has read that book. <laughs> he says it was totally, <laughs> he says it was totally mind blowing and well worth a listen. Doctor Norris, have you read it? Oh, listen, it's my Bible. I've got oh. it sitting right here. It's just incredible <laughs> because it talks it talks um, about sex and gender, and and I also do sex and gender science. And just for clarification, sex is the biology. So your your chromosomes and female. Uh, female and male bio, biological issues but gender is something different and gender isn't just um sexual orientation gender is your gender roles and uh, institutionalized gender which is what uh, the book talks a lot about and so those gendered issues actually have come to the forefront um during the covid uh era as well because um, women who are the caregivers and women who are uh, working in the service industry have all been hit harder than anyone else in COVID. And um, so it's really brought those to the forefront. But we, we did a really cool study on this on the, I was mentioning in people who had heart attacks under 55, and this was done across Canada. And we measured all these gendered issues. How many kids do you have? What's your income? What's your education? Which are gendered issues. And um, we discovered that regardless if you were a male or a female, if you scored high on the gender index, which were behaviors that are typical to women, but um, men do them as well, obviously, if you scored high on that gender index, you were four times as likely to return with a second heart attack. And one of those, it, within a year, and one of those measures was anxiety level at home on a scale of one to 10. And it was one of the biggest predictors of coming back with having a second heart attack. And women are under terrific stress and anxiety right now. And so um, I really loved hearing that message, not because women are under terrific anxiety, because that's something that we as healthcare professionals can do something about. If we're measuring those kind of things, which we aren't yet, which is part of the research to say we need to measure this stuff. If we're measuring things like that, when they come into the hospital and say, what's your level of anxiety on a scale, stress at home on a scale of one to 10, we can say, okay, we know that you're not gonna have good health outcomes if we don't take care of this now. So ha start having that conversation. What do we need to do? I'm not, I can't come home and come and take care of your kids. I can't help you clean your house. We had, as part of that gender measure, we had hours of housework. And, and there were women that had like 42 hours of housework on top of working full time, right? Yeah. And there were men that had lots of hours of housework too. But, you know, uh, I start having that conversation and saying, okay, something's going to give, 
how do we how do we negotiate the system we're in and and the life you're in doctors we're, we're going to be back to you in in one minute i want to get back to our we call it the chatter box the live chat what everybody's saying because they're gathering in community this morning it's actually remarkable to see some of the issues that women are putting forward i'm, I'm already realizing we're going to be out of time we got 15 minutes left with our panel right now quickly wanted to remind you that the team at friesen brothers is so proud to have their brand new location open in south edmonton this is the friesen brothers just off the anthony hende at rabbit hill road just open on march 5th and while the rumor, people are telling me it's not a rumor. People are showing me photos. They say they're like, this store is like unreal. If you want to tour the store, you say, you go, really? Like a grocery store? Is it like unreal, Ryan? Ah, uh, they're paying you to say that. Check out my Instagram. Go to my Insta stories, right? You know the highlights? Click on Friesen Brothers. It should be the first one you see. Might be the Real Talk beer fridge. Might actually be the first one you see because because Bald Mike's beer, the sourdough beer, is now in our beer fridge. Sam, what did you think of that? Oh, yet? I had one yesterday. It is delish. You like it? I liked it. So that's Mike Loveson. He, he, he's, he's the COO of the company, and he worked with Troubled Monk Brewery and Red Deer. They used the Friesen Brothers sourdough starter. Uh, that's the story behind it. Yeah, yeah so I like he, that. He is Bald Mike. Mike. Okay. And you can pick up, if you want to pick up this exclusive brew, you can find it at Friesen Brothers on the south side. They also have craft beer on tap. Anyway, you can tour the store through my Insta story and you'll see what I'm talking about. Banjas, Smokehouse, everything else. But I told you I was going to honor Denise's request this week and not just talk about the meat and the Smokehouse because she says, Ryan, you remember there's vegans and vegetarians that listen to your show. I said, damn straight, Denise. That's why I'm reminding you. I've eaten it myself. They're Montreal smoked tofu. If tofu's your thing, you're going to love it at Friesen Brothers. Also, a big shout out to the team at Park Power for powering our Real Talk RJ hashtag at Park Power. If you go to parkpower.ca and use the promo code 2021-RealTalk. I saw a listener was just asking about that. 2021-RealTalk, 70 bucks off your first bill. Natural gas, electricity, internet, Alberta wide and of course that's commercial and residential with the team at Park Power. Our guests are Dr. Jane Schultz out of the U of A's Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology in the Division of Urogynecology. Dr. Colleen Norris, a clinician scientist and professor with the U of A's Faculties of Nursing, Medicine and School of Public Health and Dr. Sandra Davidge, Executive Director of the Women and Children's Health Research Institute since 2012. Uh, between the three of them uh, closing in on a thousand scientific articles published i want to get back to our live chat here i just want to read them on mass doctors jump in if you like or respond after the fact laurel says can i get an amen on this pelvic floor discussion she says i was a runner pre-baby i had an almost nine pound baby i tried running after six weeks i didn't know any better and then the comments just go amen 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 allison and nicole and terry and karen and karen says you know it doesn't help that pelvic floor physiotherapy is actually not covered by alberta health she says i was lucky yeah. i had supplemental insurance i was able to access it karen says it changed my life yeah access to care is an issue um we have limited coverage we have in our multidisciplinary team for some complex patients access to physio so this is something a lot of people think that the only option is surgical but there's certainly options for um, non-surgical conservative management including pelvic floor physiotherapy you can do yoga and pilates because that will help have some pelvic floor as part of it and then there are devices called pessaries there is medication um, we work very closely with the geriatric 
Geriatrics Continents team at the Glen Rose, led by Dr. Adrian Wagg, and also the K Urology Center uh, with Dr. Gary Gray, Dr. Blair St. Martin, and Dr. Leboisier. And then we have a team of um, six urogynecologists here at the Lois Hole Hospital and our physios and nursing staff. And we can um, then look at surgical options if other things don't work out. But at the moment, unfortunately, due to COVID and some of the closures in hospital and in the clinic, our wait list has grown from um, about 1,000 women to 2,500. So we're looking at ways to navigate that with virtual care. Thankfully, we do have now the option of some virtual care and providing some education. But this is a very taboo topic. And again, I mean, this is something that um, our clinical research and innovation has been supported through the Women's and Children's Health Research Institute and the Lois Hole Hospital Foundation. Um, so that's been great to allow us uh, to develop some educational pamphlets for people in the community and for people that are immigrant women. Um, so it's been fabulous. And we also have some indigenous programs. Um, um, we work uh, closely with Masquishis and some of those uh, communities to help provide care. I was just going to ask you, doctor, I have a question here from from uh, a viewer that's wondering about representation, uh, specifically of indigenous physicians, uh, wondering if, if indigenous physicians are included um, in the Alberta Women's Health Foundation. But why don't let, let's let's answer that. Let's get to that. But let's also broaden the conversation. I know in particular, Dr. Schultz, that you've been a fierce advocate for access to care for indigenous women. Um, let's expand that to black and indigenous people of color. Let's talk about trans women. Let's talk about people, women in particular, who are being underserved right now. How, what's the landscape? look like and and what do we need to do about it uh so there's a lot of areas where um access to care is a challenge whether it be due to geography or um ethnicity uh you mentioned the indigenous um and black and people of color um we are working to improve our um, equity, diversity, and inclusion is part of our department philosophy, but also part of our mandate in terms of provision of care. Um, at the ALEC, we're, the Royal Alexandra Hospital, uh, we are really, really fortunate. We have um, a couple of leads in the area of women's health. One is Dr. Rebecca Rich, who is one of our obstetrician gynecologists, and Dr. Cassandra Felsky-Dirksen, who is Indigenous herself, and they work as part of the Indigenous program at the ALEC. So there are steps but there's still a lot that needs to be done in terms of access to care. Um, in terms of our transgender population, um, one of our physicians here, Dr. Kathy Flood, has led a program um, looking at pre and post-operative care in that population, and she works with the Gender Wellness Center. Um, so we're certainly, there's a lot of work to do, but we are working to try and be more inclusive and provide a broader spectrum of care. And again, that is supported through these platforms with the um, Alberta Women's Health Foundation and the Women's and Children's Health Research Institute. Dr. David, like yeah, go yeah, ahead, please. Go ahead. No, go, okay, I'll just expand on that. <laughs> Look at us. Um, yeah, so so we uh, we do have, we, we do need to build more in this area, and we've been having those conversations, but we do have a number of researchers that have been supported by the Alberta Women's Health Foundation uh, to go out into the community. So that's the beauty of this Alberta Women's Health Foundation and also the philosophy of our foundations that support us is that we're out in the backyard, we're out in the community, and we do have researchers who work very closely with uh, the Métis community 
community as well as Masco's street chiefs, sorry. Um, and so the uh, we do have been supporting that research area, but we are building and growing in those areas. Yeah, I wanted to ask the three of you, just as mentioned yesterday, obviously International Women's Day and and and, and people will be um, focusing on, on, I don't want to say women's issues, that's kind of a weird way to put it, but issues impacting women. Um, through the course of this week, when we talk about representation, um, you know, I, how, what, what do uh, what are the, the freshmen, they don't call them freshman classes, but, you know, if the first year classes for med school, these undergraduates that are coming in, um, you know, what do they look like? Is there representation of, of, of black and indigenous people of color? Is there is there is there equitable representation of women? Um, you're all nodding. So, um, you know, <laughs> so for the medical school admissions process, they actually have a separate indigenous track, which is fabulous. And there is um, a, um, a process now looking at. Um, a pathway for the there's a Black Medical Students Association looking at um, improving the equity diversity as part of the admissions process. So at this moment, there is an Indigenous process, both as part of the medical school admissions, but also as part of our obstetrics and gynecology admissions. So we were the first um, specialty group um, in Edmonton to pioneer a separate Indigenous pathway. Um, so we do have um, Indigenous um physicians that are coming in and training as women's health providers and um, that's done through a specific process in conjunction with our indigenous health team which has been fantastic but again we still have a lot of work to do we've got a, a ton of viewers and listeners commenting on on midwifery on doulas and i'm curious to know if the three of you see that as part of the continuum of care shalane says i had a midwife with my third child literally emailed the lucina center before i told my husband in order to secure a midwife she went and got the midwife before she told her husband she was pregnant that's amazing rhiannon says we have no options and women are frustrated says i had horrible postpartum depression after my fourth baby and that led me to become a doula nine years ago says rhiannon these issues are close to my heart is this on your radar doctors yeah, so for midwifery, they're definitely part of our care team. So they're part of our executive um, leadership group. So through COVID, we've actually been meeting very regularly. So I work very closely with Dr. Hajra Daniel, who is our zone um, interim zone clinical lead for women's health. And uh, we have regular, it has been actually twice weekly calls with all the facility directors for women's health and the um, AHS executive, but midwifery are part of that. So um, we work very closely with midwifery in terms of care provision, but I very much acknowledge there are still um, gaps in care, um, challenges in accessing care, um, and especially it was alluded to with the mental health component, that is still a real uh, deficiency that we will lobby and advocate for with government and Alberta Health Services and Alberta Health. Dr. Norris, you looked like you wanted to say something. I did. I did. Because one of the things that's uh, going on with this is, is is actually recognizing biases as it's not just medical students. Obviously, it's all healthcare nursing students. It's occupational therapists. But uh, one of the things in the book that you were mentioning, Invisible Woman, they talk about the New York Philharmonic and that women couldn't get on the New York Philharmonic in auditions. And um, they decided to put up a, a screen so that the um, people who were doing the auditions couldn't be seen by the people that were deciding who went on the New York Philharmonic. And lo and behold, now they're up to 50% women when they didn't see that it was a woman. And, and one of the things that every clinical person is taught 
nursing medicine, whatever, is when they walk into a room, they they say, you know, the first note you'll make is 55-year-old woman, or you make comments about that. And and I think all of us have to step back and say, okay, what are my what are my biases because I'm seeing this woman in front of me? And and I think it would be the coolest study that we could do for medical students and nursing students is to just tell them you have a 55-year-old with this, 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 and this, and not tell them the sex or the gender in that fact, and, and see what would you, how would you, how would you for, go on with your treatment on this? And just so that people recognize that, oh, oh boy, I, I really want to know if it's a woman. Well, why do you want to know if it's a woman? Well, because if it was a man, then this is what I do. Okay, you're, you're answering the big question, right? The, that bias that all of us has. I mean, we all have different biases. I, it would be silly to ignore it. But we really need to pay attention to it in healthcare so that we're looking at the person who is sitting in front of us, not not the sex. Yeah, well said. Uh, um, uh, there, there are some great questions here that I want to make sure we get to. We have just three minutes left. So let me circle back because there, there was the assertion made that that women have a higher percentage of immature red blood cells, which could affect their response to vaccines. Everybody's focusing on vaccines right now. The covid-19 vaccine, obviously. Uh, are any of the three of you in a position to comment on that or provide some insight? I know it'll be top of mind for a lot of our listeners. I can take I this one. This it. is still discovery. Oh, yeah. This is still a discovery phase of mm. one of our researchers that we have funded through the Women and Children's Health Research Institute. But it really does highlight that COVID has a difference in how it approaches um, relative to sex and gender. So uh, so there's some physical differences, potentially these young immature red blood cells may affect the response to vaccine. You also have women who have COVID during pregnancy may present with more severe illness. And you have seen the social and the gendered issues of more frontline workers being women and or affected by loss of jobs or more demand, um, both at the home front and the and the um, work life. So you definitely see gendered and sex differences as, as uh, Colleen has described relative to COVID response. And we just need to know that. We need to actually recognize that and be able to do more to be able to respond um, effectively with that. I want to ask you about uh, uh, the comments. Just uh, here it is from Emma. She says, is there anything being done to address racism in healthcare? Emma says, I shared a recovery room with an indigenous mother and the nurses treated her differently. One even made racist comments about her to me. Is this on your radar, doctors? Absolutely. And I'm really sorry that happened. That Mm. is not acceptable. So there is now um, definitely uh, sensitivity training, indigenous awareness training, um, cultural sensitivity training um, and those types of things being incorporated both as on the Alberta Health Services side and also on the university side. So our Dean, um, Dr. Brenda Hemelgarn, who was um, new a year ago and has done an amazing job at leading our faculty through COVID, um, has very much focused on equity, diversity and inclusion and has set up um, uh, task forces to improve the focus on anti-racism and biases and those types of things. Um, She has a working group that are providing some professional development on that. And certainly as part of any um, hiring or interview processes now, there is um, anyone involved in that needs to take a 
bias assessment tools. So like through the Harvard, uh, there's an implicit bias assessment for both gender and race uh, so that you're aware of those biases yourself. Because as was mentioned, we all have inherent biases, but we are. it is something we're working towards and a work in progress. But I very much apologize for that experience. I mean, that's awful and should not happen. We've got a, a great question here from Kathy, and uh, I, I don't know, maybe Kathy's part of that, what do they call them, the sandwich generation, where they're looking after their kids and they're looking after their parents and, and trying to make time to look after themselves. And Kathy wonders, could you please ask the doctors how I can advocate for my elderly mom when I'm no longer allowed into her medical appointment? Um, I don't know if that's COVID related or, or otherwise, but when it comes to health advocacy and we'll, and we'll wrap on this doctors, maybe I'll put it to you first, Dr. David, what would you suggest? I think that's great that she is there to support her elderly uh, family and that she is there to advocate. So I'd say, keep, keep advocating, keep uh, working towards that. And then, and the healthcare, I mean, I think we've been, little bit negative on the healthcare. The healthcare people are really trying. It's just about really opening up and and giving more knowledge. So I would just say my advice was to uh, she's uh, to keep working towards uh, working with the healthcare providers for the elderly mom and and the mental health status of of these. I think we're all seeing that with our parents, and it's and it's a tough time. But to keep working with the healthcare people in, in her care. Hmm. Um. Dorothy followed up on our comment about about uh, health care for for the LGBTQ2S plus community, including uh, trans women. Uh, Dorothy says dealing with the medical community or interacting with the community as a transgender person can be tricky. My child identifies as trans and having to dance between biological sex and gender and name changes. It can be very difficult. Uh, that from Dorothy. Um I mean, let me just say we're already here at 10 o'clock and you have patients to see and you have appointments. I know we could stay here for another three hours and, 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 and do our part to try to address and identify some of the world's problems before we can start solving them. But doctors, let me simply say um, I'm grateful for your time today. This, this hour has flown by. Our audience is grateful for it by the overwhelming uh, number of comments that we're seeing. Uh, we want to direct people to the hashtag refocus the research. And uh, perhaps most importantly, and here, Sam, let me put the website up so people can take a look at it. This is the Alberta Women's Health Foundation at albertawomenshealthfoundation.org. You can learn more about their researchers, what they're doing. You can learn about their research projects and how you can help make a difference. Our thanks to Dr. Sandra Davidge, Dr. Colleen Norris and Dr. Jane Schultz. Thank you for this. That was fun. Thank Thanks. Thanks so much for having yeah, us. Thank that you. was awesome. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, real talkers, in, in any uh, different day, and, and Sam, you know this too. We'd be we'd be able to have these doctors here in studio. Uh, the studio was built to accommodate these types of roundtables, and you get the sense that the interaction between these three physicians oh, would be pretty at, great. Look at how great it would be if we had everybody. Like, in we were here. Oh, we were yeah. covering a lot of ground there, and and I wanted to note that one of the doctors at the end said, you know, we've been kind of hard on the healthcare system here. Um, and, and that is true in the sense that people are identifying issues and in some cases, systemic issues, some of them are, are anecdotal, you know, stories. Someone says this happened to me or, or this happened to somebody I know. And then there are, there are the, the, the real uh, problems and the discrepancies and the deficiencies that are identified by the experts. I mean, who knew I bet you a lot of you women that are listening to this either live or later are going to say, well, we knew <laughs> we knew about a lot of this. And that is true. And we're grateful that this platform can be home to some of these conversations. But who knew that there was such a deficiency in research? Who knew that that women were, were much more likely to experience 
for example, depression or or to have, you know, vaccine issues with the vaccine, poor reactions to a vaccine. Who knew that that 15 times more women die from heart disease than breast cancer? 15 times. And that women's heart attacks present differently than men's. Did you know that, Sam? I feel like if anybody here in the studio knew that, it's going to be you. I, I knew about the heart attacks. Uh, I didn't know about a whole lot of the statistics, but I did know about the heart attacks. I actually want to circle up to uh, circle back to something that came up on the chatterbox. Uh, Eric mentioned this, and it was already going to be my plug after this. But um, one of my absolute favorite podcasts called 99% Invisible does an episode where they do a deep dive on the book Invisible Women. And right. they talk about, you know, not only just things like access to healthcare, but also things like... Um, prioritizing clearing snow on roads versus sidewalks absolutely disproportionately affects women for the most part. Yeah. And there's little things all over our society that you don't realize were made for women. Seatbelts. We all get into cars and we strap on a belt that's made for men. It's made for a man's body. Right. And, and for years and years and years and years and years, the, the way that women's bodies were studied is they would use a stand in for a, they basically use a smaller men's body and say, well, that's a woman. Yeah. And, and that's, that's not at all how this research should be happening. So, um, Based on the book Invisible Women, I'm highly going to plug the episode of 99% Invisible that covers it. It's a fascinating deep dive. For Good sure. stuff. After you've listened to all the Real Talk podcasts and there are none left, then you can go listen to that podcast. <laughs> right? I want to get to and, and many of you. When I said I said you women, I said you you already knew it. All of you are you're writing in Jacqueline and Terry and Hope and you're all going yeah yeah we knew we knew. Uh, Rhiannon says we do have amazing healthcare providers. We just need more. Let me clarify again i feel like i say this almost every day but because we're critical of an institution or because we're doing a deep dive into into issues uh identifying problems that we face as a society as communities it doesn't mean that that, that we're inherently opposed to the institution right this is what some some you know politicians can't wrap their minds around for example it's why you'll never see premier jason kenny on this show because jason kenny does not like deep dive conversations where we sink our teeth in and really get to the heart the crux of something he doesn't like criticism you know he sees it as defiance he, he, he will he will bully his way out of that type of situation he won't make himself available for these types of vulnerable conversations when we talk about religion you know pastor greg hohalter how fabulous was he last week i don't attend his church i'm not a congregant but boy oh boy did i feel a connection with him he said we as christian leaders we keep stepping in it and he did it an, an insightful look he looked in the mirror with all of us along for the ride along for that conversation not an inherent attack on christianity or religion same with this. I mean, healthcare workers, who deserves more of our praise, more of our admiration, more of our support than healthcare workers right now? Right? Arguably nobody. Now you're going to come up with somebody. You know, my son's in Afghanistan. Okay, yeah, 100%. But the point is, our healthcare workers have done an amazing job. You know, I hear of people that have set up sanitation stations in their garages and they have to gear down to a towel on their way back from work so they can hug their kids when they get in the house. Other healthcare workers are saying they haven't meaningfully hugged their kids or interacted with their spouses because they've been so aware of what they might be bringing home from the COVID ward where they work. We have immense respect for healthcare workers. That does not mean, though, 
that there may not be racism or misogyny or discrimination or shortcomings in funding or right or 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 it's why we have these conversations so we can be better we are sam we make a promise to our audience and our audience i know makes the same commitment to us when they show up every single day to be inherently and perpetually curious yeah i i would also just say you know um any institution worth following is self-critical you know what i mean it's it's if people just sort of like threw their hands up in the air and said well we're doing a good job there's nothing to fix here you'd be a very ineffective person so the fact that we have four doctors come on and say hey there's problems in our own profession that speaks volumes that actually moves the conversation in the direction where it should be going yeah i i you know i i decry anybody that actually won't be willing to look at themselves and say what can i be doing differently before they start throwing stones at everybody else totally i and i love this comment here from scott who says it's possible to love something and want to see it better yes right scott nailed it i mean Absolutely. i don't I'm not, I'm not trying to twist this into a political conversation but, you know, we, we see this narrative. We've talked about it before when people that are critical, for example, of the Alberta government will be spun as anti-Alberta. Hell no. Nothing could be further from the truth, right? It's possible to love something and want to see it better. I feel like we should steal Scott's comment and use it as our strap line for all of our marketing. I feel like Scott just kind of summed up the entire premise of this show in one sentence. Uh, Linda Ray is calling you Sam the Renaissance man. Are you going to be Uncle Sam? Are you going to be Sam the Renaissance man? I mean, what are we going to? We're, we're going to have. A, maybe we'll just roll with multiple. The thing is, as as I pointed out before, you can't assign your own nickname. So I'm a little bit at the mercy of real talk. Is there one right that now. you prefer? I mean, Uncle Sam. I'm is, more. Is, well, I mean, Uncle Sam is practical because I have a new niece, um, whom I finally met actually, and, and she is uh, she is adorable. Oh yes. Um, but uh, we'll put that aside anyway. So, but uh, Sam the Renaissance man. I mean, uh, like I, I don't think I've ever been described as a Renaissance. You can't. Man before, you, can, you definitely I'll can't call yourself it. that. No, because that no, would be no, that would be that's so self-serving. That would lack modesty, it as they would say. Would, you know. Well, you wouldn't be much of a Renaissance man if you lacked modesty. See, I mean, this one just—it's a trap right in and of itself. This guy just keeps nailing it. Um, I encourage you. We don't have time to read. Uh, Troy says that's why my favorite line in a movie. Um, he doesn't say what movie it is. Uh, shoot. Maybe we'll turn this into a contest. Um, Troy says that's why my favorite line in a movie is, quote, I love this country. I owe it everything. That's precisely why I can criticize it. Why I must. I love that. We're going to get to some of your emails in just a moment. I wanted to remind you that the team at McBain Camera is Alberta's best destination for photographers and content creators. And they encourage you to tell your story beautifully with the Nikon Z50 camera, stunning 4K ultra high def with 1080p slow motion time lapse mode and so much more. You're a time lapse photographer yourself, Sam. Love time lapse. Oh yeah. How how how, how big of a deal is 4K ultra HD with 1080p slow motion time lapse oh, mode? It's huge. Oh yeah. They've it's, got the. Uh, I, I, Time lapses are uh, They're very complicated to do right And anytime you have some technology that kind of helps you along with that It's just the biggest time saver As a matter of fact we're going to see An example of your skilled time lapse Photography when we wrap the show Correct. Yeah. Coming up in who knows how many minutes <laughs> uh, So keep a keen eye on our Extra 
we call it, as we go to black, you'll see some of Sam's amazing work on that pedestrian footbridge. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, that's not the one that got torn down over the North Saskatchewan to make way for the LRT. No, is that it? is the one uh, from Horlack to Laurier Park. Oh, there you go. Horlack to Laurier Park. Uh, you can download Nikon's webcam utility. Remember, we're doing a read for McBain camera right now. I just about forgot. We're so excited. Uh, you can live stream from Zoom, Twitch, YouTube, and more like a pro. Why not look good on your new project out of the gates when you order a Nikon Z50 body or a kit at McBainCamera.com? You can enter the promo code RealTalk, just one word, RealTalk, at checkout, and they'll give you a free ProMaster Hitchhiker tabletop tripod with your order, plus McBain's knowledgeable staff ready to help you with all your questions. Wanted to give a shout out as well. Speaking of, of help and support, the team at Westworld Computers is ready to hook you up right now. Now, whether it's new, you, you're taking a look at the uh, the Apple lineup and you're going, boy, that new iMac, that new MacBook Pro that Jesmo's using looks incredible. That 16 inch, incredible. You, you know, yeah, they got those. But if you're looking for maybe dialing back your budget, you want something that's been gently used, refurbished, it's got all the software reloaded, and it comes with a warranty, they can do that for you too at a discounted price at Westworld Computers. Plus, there's the team at Eden Landscaping. They're getting ready to go for a busy spring, and you don't want to miss the boat on this one. Looks like it's going to be another laid-back summer. Probably not as much traveling as most people think. Why not make that dream come true? You've been looking out your front or your backyard. You're envisioning like one of those sort of uh, interlocking stone fire pits or maybe one of those swim spas, maybe a barbecue station or an outdoor kitchen. Maybe you want to be fancy like our in-studio renaissance man and put in a pergola or a pergola. Either one. They can do both pergolas and pergolas. Check out the work that they do at landscapeedmonton.com. That's Eden Landscaping, a proud partner of Real Talk. You see this email from um, Manit that came in? This was an interesting one on the heels of our show on International Women's Day yesterday. You can email us anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Manit says, I was, I was listening, Ryan, um, to yesterday's show that the email came in at about two in the morning and I saw it live because I never sleep. And Manit said, I was actually for the first time ever in listening to the real talk podcast. I came across a moment where I had to stop listening to reflect on something a guest said, because it actually made me feel very uncomfortable. One of your guests yesterday opened her appearance on the show by saying, quote, Gandhi said the world will be saved by the Western woman. Manit says, I actually had to go back and double check. That's what she said. And I thought, I, I surely must have misheard um, since I'm a little bit high right now, <laughs> which is cool. Uh, after confirming that I had not misheard, I Googled the quote and I discovered that it was actually the Dalai Lama who said those words at the Vancouver Peace Summit in September of 2009. I understand the intent of the Dalai Lama's words was was likely to provoke privileged women to speak out on behalf of other marginalized communities. But Western to most people means white. A white woman using this quote made me instantly think of the white savior complex, and it made me feel super uneasy. Women in the Eastern world are also saving the world. You know, for example, in India, women are joining and even leading the farmers protests that have been going on for more than 100 days now in Delhi and for even longer in my motherland of Punjab. If anybody knows Indian society and culture, they understand how patriarchal it is which is why this story is so powerful and so inspiring. This is a matter of fact, Time Magazine's latest international edition featured the story on their cover and real talkers should check it out. 
Manit says, anyway, I'm not sure if I'm the only one who had this reaction, but as a woman of color, it once again affirmed the need for intersectionality in feminism. The advancement of women is not just for white women, but for all women. Thanks for the great guests. I'm going to go back to finishing Monday's show. That from Manit, who sent us an email. I thought that was great. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. Thoughtful. And again, and again, not ripping the show, not ripping the segment, but saying, hey, we need to be better on this or... You know, I mean, this is something where, Sam, feedback like this from an audience member or from multiple audience members. Terry right now is saying, I'm so glad something was said there. The quote did bug me. Um, You know, uh, these are the types of things that can that can uh, drive our editorial process. Yeah. Right. And put things on our better makes the show better. I love this from Robert. Uh, He said this in on International Women's Day. And and Robert, we ran out of time, but I wanted to read it Uh, for hockey fans. Robert says, I know that not everybody's a hockey fan, but um, they may not know the name Cassie Campbell. He says, but every time she she does a game, she calls a game. She's a broadcaster on Hockey Night in Canada. He says, my Twitter feed fills up with all these terrible, demeaning messages about her and her skills as a broadcaster. He says, "I'm, I'm, I'm curious how many gold medal winning hockey teams the critics have captained. Uh, Cassie's a Hall of Famer and one of Canada, one of the I mean, she's one of the history's greatest all time players um, and uh, and certainly one of the greatest all time in Canada, if not the he says, you know, how many of you have, have had to provide commentary on the spot with no script? He says complaints aren't new in sports. They happen all the time. But what I find most surprising are these individuals, a lot of them claim to be woke. You know, they claim to support women. You know, they claim to advocate for equality. They seem to set all this aside the minute the puck drops. Is our beloved game of hockey a bridge too far? Wonders Robert. He says, if any of you ever wondered where and how online bullying starts in schools, take a long, hard look in the mirror. This is the same thing. He says, people ratcheted up and it's become acceptable to denigrate another person. He says, I bet you a lot of people are saying these things because it's the norm. They want to fit in. Robert says, I don't know Cassie personally, but I happen to know that, you know, he says she's she's doing what she can to talk about what she knows. And he says, and every time I see her, she, she appears to become better at her job. Robert, I could go off about how, how athletes are not inherently great broadcasters and how we give a lot of, we give a lot of slack to a lot of athletes that come into broadcasting to get better. Don't we, we work with them. We cheer them on. That hasn't always seemed to be the case with Cassie Campbell or Jennifer Botterill or any of the other women, Sarah nurse that you see more and more of them that are popping up on hockey broadcasts. He says to to those that would disagree with me, imagine if she was your mom or your wife or your daughter and people were saying all this stuff about her. What behaviors are we modeling to our kids? Says Robert, we are capable of being so much better than this. Really appreciate that from Robert. I got to jump on a little thing that he said at the end there. Um, It bothers me every time we talk about some sort of a woman's issue. I'm going to say that very broadly that people immediately default to the think about if it was your mom or your wife or your daughter. No, just think of it as like a person in your life. Like, I just, I don't well, understand. That's the same thing. That's the same thing. Yeah. Well, but like, I just, I don't understand why people need that personal connection to value somebody. You because know what I mean? You have to make something relevant to people. You, like when people are saying when people this morning to Shannon Phillips, there are a lot of people that are not going to care that Shannon Phillips is being surveilled by Lethbridge police because they too will not vote for the NDP and they can't stand that Shannon Phillips is an outspoken and confident woman. 
But if you say, what if police were surveilling you because you are Mormon or what if police are surveilling you because you voted for the Alberta party or what if police are surveilling you because you spoke out against Alberta beef, then it all of a sudden the light bulb goes on in people's brains. I think that's why you do it. You have to make things relevant to a lot, not to everybody. I mean, there are there are altruistic people out there that are if they see injustice, wherever it is, they will fight against it and fight for the the marginalized. But that's not the case with everybody, I don't think. Yeah, it, it just the thing that bothers me. You're right. I think that, you know, storytelling is about making things relevant and making things relatable. And, and I think you're absolutely right on that point. I, I just know that this is a these comparisons are very, very, very one sided. Nobody ever looks at somebody who is uh, a man who's who's having a hard time. You know, let's say a male athlete that becomes a broadcaster and say, hey, imagine that was your dad or your brother. Nobody makes that comparison. Lola Zaz says, hey, sports fans knock all sports commentators. It's not gender specific. Um, there is something about Cassie Campbell. Like there's something about the criticism she faces in particular. I've just I've seen it again. It's anecdotal. Um, and I do acknowledge that people rip all sports. I mean, like play by play guys get. Oh, yeah. Crucified. Uh, but there seems to be something about Cassie. And I don't I can't I, I can't. I mean, some of you are probably screaming right now at your speakers as you listen to this. But to me, um, I, uh, you know, my impression is that it's because she's a woman and it bugs a lot of hockey fans. It bugs a lot of men that a woman is doing color commentary during the game. It bothers them because she's smarter than them. Well, maybe a better hockey, you know, not maybe. also a better she hockey is a better player. Hockey she player. is a better hockey she is player a better than hockey. everybody that's watching her. <laughs> I guarantee she is a better hockey player than you. I don't care who you are. I mean, unless Connor and Leon are watching, she is a better hockey player than you. It's been an amazing show today. Before we go, we wanted to remind you that the teams at Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, we're so proud to partner with them. Uh, one of you wrote in the other day and said, which one you said, you said you always say Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Where are they? I said, why gardens baseline road? That's Mike. And then Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, and Westmount. That's Mark. And both of them are big backers of the show. They wanted me to remind you that every night of the week, every night of the week, it's two for $5 treat night. That means seven days a week after 8 p.m., you can mix and match any two medium dipped cones and sundaes for five bucks now make sure make me a promise when you're there you're gonna let them know you're a real talker they love knowing that their investments paying off would you be a dipped cone guy or a sunday guy sam out of the choice probably a dipped cone what do you like about the dipped cone it's simple it's so simple it's not trying to be anything that it's not it's soft serve and crunchy delicious chocolate (laughs) i love how it's got the it when you first crack the surface like when you first like, you know, when water's just starting to freeze, oh, like just tension. in the fall yeah. and you just you just you just yeah. and then all of a sudden it all cracks apart. For me, it's that delicate chocolate covering. Mm. Oh, boy. The team at Local Waste is proud to present Trash Talk each and every Friday here on the show. You can send in your gripes, your rants and your raves to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Also want to remind you that for more than a quarter century, they've been locally owned and operating in the province of Alberta into BC. They're looking to expand their operations with business partners that may see an opportunity in their community to go up head to head against the big international garbage corporations. If you're looking for a solution that fits you and you love to talk trash and save money, check out the team at Local Waste by following the sponsors tab at Ryan Jesperson. Same deal with uh, Alta Moving and Storage. If this spring means a move for you, take away the stress 
and give the team at Alta Moving and Storage a call. They've got, first of all, these frog boxes, the eco-friendly moving boxes. You borrow them as opposed to having to go to the liquor store and source out like 35 boxes that had Smirnoff bottles to hold all of Grandma's fine china. Not a good plan. The frog boxes, plus the pod-style moving containers, allow you to move at your pace and take the stress out of the mix. Plus, long and short-term storage solutions at Alta Moving and Storage. You can find them online at altastorage.ca. We're very much looking forward to tomorrow's show. We want to give you a heads up. If you're a mom or a dad, you're a grandparent, you're a care provider, you may be interacting with the justice system. We know that there are deficiencies here in so many ways as there are in healthcare. That's why we're bringing in three experts for a family law roundtable. On Thursday, we're talking about bias in universities. And on Friday, alternative energy with our solar panel. All of that to come right here on Real Talk. Thanks for joining us weekday mornings. We'll talk to you soon. The